Good evening. It's good to have you with us this evening for our Bible study, working through the Gospel of Luke. We're here on the first Sunday night of March, and uh, winter is almost over. The days are getting longer. Next weekend, uh, we turn the clocks ahead. Some of the spring birds are back in their migration. Can you tell I'm ready for spring? I trust that you are, but I trust that uh, today you are rejoicing in the day the Lord has made. And that is the, the work he gives us each day is to appreciate what he has done for us on each day. We're going to go to Luke chapter 17 tonight, a passage which uh, was started last week. And we're going to pick up in verse 11 with an, an incident that is a lesson for us in gratitude and thanksgiving. So I'm going to read this passage and then we'll talk about the context a little bit before we start going through the text. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So we have two little sections here in the book of Luke. The first of which is a, another occasion of a miraculous healing. And the second is the beginning of instructions that he's going to give through a longer section with regard to the coming of the kingdom. This section of Luke that we are in began back in chapter 9 and verse 51. And a lot of Bible outlines uh, call this section of Luke the section where the Son of Man goes to Jerusalem. And the way that sounds to us would be that it would be a progression of steps from one place and ending up in Jerusalem. When, in fact, the truth of the matter that this section is, is not so much a specific geographic progression as it is that as the Son of God was entering the last few months of his earthly ministry, he knew he was going to Jerusalem. He had his mind set on ending in Jerusalem at the right time so that he could fulfill his appointed work as the Savior. And with that in mind, he is determinedly teaching the disciples... He is indeed ministering at times to the general public, but we find him much more often dealing intensively with his disciples, teaching his disciples, 
handling the opposition of the Pharisees, and we'll see that intensify as we get closer to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem in the last week of his ministry. This section that we're in uh, right here includes the area around Jerusalem, Judea, and Perea. But in this text, he find, we find Christ even going back up into some of the sections of Galilee, uh, just north of Samaria. He is, in fact, going through Samaria, probably going north. Uh, we think that uh, John chapter 11, the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus, has probably occurred at about this place and time in the text. So Christ has gone down to Bethany near Jerusalem, if we're correct about that, and now he's headed back north through Samaria toward Galilee to finish another uh, teaching and preaching session in that area. So as he's, uh, by the way, with the Samaritans uh, were often resistant to the Jews when they traveled through. The, the uh, animosity between the two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, went both ways. It was not a one-sided uh, hatred or dislike. It was very much two-sided. The Samaritans especially disliked it if the Jews were traveling south to Samaria to get to Jerusalem for their festivals. They weren't quite as agitated if the Jews were traveling north away from Jerusalem for whatever reason. They figured they were just on their way home or whatever instead of on their way to worship at Jerusalem. But it, it is significant that Christ is again going through the area of Samaria and Galilee. Probably not the far north of Galilee. This would be the southern area, maybe even south of the Sea of Galilee. But as he goes into a village, the Lord here sees a group of people standing off at a distance. There's ten men, and all ten of those men are lepers. In order for us to remind ourselves of this, uh, why these men are standing at a distance, I'd like to go back and read some verses from Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 40. Uh, verse 45 really gives us more of the details, but uh, the background is also in verse 40. Now, if a man loses the hair of his head, he is bald, he is clean. He is, if his head becomes bald at the front and sides, he is bald on the forehead, he is clean. So I, I bring this text in so that Nick and I, uh, you know, are defended. We, we, we are ceremonially clean, we're not unclean. Right, Nick? But if on the bald head or the bald forehead there occurs a reddish-white infection, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or on his bald forehead. Now, leprosy could break out anywhere. He's simply giving this as uh, instruction. Then the priest shall look at him, and if the swelling of the infection is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprosy in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, his infection is on his head. As for the leper, verse 45, who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, his hair, the hair of his head shall be uncovered, that is, he should not wear a veil or a covering of any kind over his head. He shall cover his mustache, and he shall cry, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
Now, remember, Leviticus was written during the days of Moses when they were literally in the camp in the wilderness. And if someone became leprous, they were put outside the camp for a period of time. Miriam herself was uh, subjected to being outside of the camp for seven days because she had become leprous. And even though she was healed when Moses prayed for her back in the book of Numbers, she still had to spend seven days outside of the camp to fulfill the requirements of going through the spiritual cleansing, the ritual cleansing, before she could come back and uh, be part of the assembly. And so the person who had leprosy was separated from the people. Leprosy uh, was a highly contagious disease. It was a highly infectious disease. And so the separation was uh, partly to prevent its spreading uh, to others. Uh, we are uh, in a time right now where we're exercising social distancing. And this was uh, one of the early social distancing situations. His dwelling will be outside of the camp. As we come to Luke chapter 17, in verse 12, these men are standing at a distance. They're not right up beside the road. They're not mingling with the rest of the crowd. As Jesus is coming to a village, they're off to the side are those ten men. They are fulfilling their requirement to be at a distance. They are living in obedience to the command. Now, we also understand uh, that, that there was a great fear of leprosy. If a leper didn't go off at a distance, people would probably pick up stones and throw at them. So, it, it, yes, it was voluntary, but it was also uh, socially enforced, if you will, uh, by the pressure of others around them. Now, this is not the first time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke has recorded the healing of a leper. I want you to notice back in Luke chapter 5, I'll just take time to look at this briefly. I think there's a, an important reminder here for us in Luke 5, beginning with verse 12. <coughs> While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, <clears throat> he fell on his face and implored him, saying, <coughs> Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he, verse 13, that would be Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And it goes on with more detail. But the point I want to make here is that in verse uh, in Luke 5, Jesus healed a leper by reaching out and touching him. If in the Old Testament, under the economy of the Mosaic Law, if someone else had leprosy, they were ceremonially unclean. If I went over and touched that person, I would become ceremonially unclean. I would have to go through a period of seven days and cleansing and a sacrifice before I could come back and be accepted uh, at the tabernacle worship or the temple worship. And so when a person reached out and touched a leper, he became unclean. But in this case, exactly the opposite happens. That has never happened before. Never in the history of the Old Testament did someone touch an unclean leper and the leper became clean. Jesus touched that leper, but Jesus did not become unclean. The leper became clean. 
That, that is the cleansing, healing, divine power of the Lord Jesus. He came, in the book of Isaiah, he came to take our sins upon himself. He came to take our wounds, our chastisement. And in this case, he takes our uncleanness upon him because he died bearing the weight of all of our sins. So Jesus gathered up the uncleanness and he took it upon himself because he was going to suffer on the cross and take care of all of that uncleanness. Not so with Jesus in the fact of getting becoming unclean. Jesus brought others to the place of being clean. So this is some background from other passages to keep in mind as we go back to Luke chapter 17 to our group of ten men. In verse 11, as he's going through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he sees these lepers, the Lord responds to them in verse 14. They have cried out to him. They have seen him standing afar off, and he responds to them. What is he responding to? They are crying out to him for mercy. Even though they're standing far off, they see Jesus Christ coming. Now, that brings up the question of how did they know about Jesus? How did they know it was Jesus coming? They obviously have heard. They have heard the news of who Jesus is. They uh, perhaps recognized the, the crowd, Jesus and his disciples, and others that were with him. Perhaps the news is coming down the road. Jesus is coming. We don't know exactly how they they knew this, but they are there as Jesus is entering into the village and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In their need, they saw their opportunity. In their common misery, in their individual misery, in their collective misery, these outcasts lift up their voice to, voices together and cry out to Jesus. Now, there's something very interesting going on here among these ten people. We find out later that one of them was a Samaritan. We're not told that when we're introduced to the ten in verse 12. We're told it down in verse 16. But these ten include at least one Samaritan. Now, it, it does not say what the other nine were. The fact that Jesus tells them to go to, a, to the priests implies that they were Jews. And secondly, the fact that one of them is singled out as being a Samaritan would imply that the other nine are Jews. So I think what we have in verse 12 is an unusually mixed group of lepers, a Samaritan, and Jews together in a group. That was unusual. That was uncommon. You did not find the animosity between Jews and Samaritans easily erased or easily overcome. But what we find in this passage is that their own personal suffering, being outcast by others, being alone, being in dire need, they have overcome the differences of genetic 
background, they have overcome the differences in some of those earthly uh, oppositions and prejudices, and they have come together in their misery to do whatever they can to help each other as ten lepers. Misery has brought them together. They're outcasts by society, but they have overcome the natural animosities that they were raised under, that they probably had as adults, and they have come together as a group of Jews and at least one Samaritan. These are the ten who meet Jesus. They, it, it does not say that he touched them. It does not say that they came close. They are standing at a distance in verse 12. They raise their voices in verse 13. And in verse 14, he sees them. And he speaks to them evidently from a distance. Quite often in the scriptures, when Jesus heals someone, there is a very direct connection. He touches them, he goes to them, he's close to them, he lays his hands on them, he puts mud on their eyes, uh, whatever, those kinds of, of close contact situations. This is an unusual situation where he, instead of coming close to them, he tells them to walk away. Instead of coming near to them, he tells them to leave. Instead of going over and touching them, he sends them out of his presence. This would seem to be the opposite of what we would expect. Why did he send these people to the priest? Well, the scriptures answer that question. He sent them to the priest according to the instructions of Leviticus 14 and uh, other passages in the Old Testament, to follow the instructions of the Mosaic law, to go to the priests that they might go through the process of being cleansed. If they've been healed, then they need to go through the process of being ritually cleansed. But he sends them to the priest without saying, be healed. He is telling them to go to the priests as though healed in order to be ritually clean. So he's telling them to go without saying, be healed. But in the going, they become healed. In their leaving, they are healed. The end of verse 14, as they are going... They were cleansed. He tells them to go to the priests. This was in accordance with the economy of God under Moses' law, under which Jesus himself lived. Now, if you, uh, if you look back in Luke chapter 5 again to the text that we started a few minutes ago, I mentioned the earlier occasion in the book of Luke when Jesus healed a leper. In verse 14 of Luke 5, Jesus said that he ordered them to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded. And there's more. But that's the, that's the first aspect of it, was to go to the priest to make an offering for cleansing just as Moses had commanded. There was a blood sacrifice that was required. Anytime there was cleansing in the Old Testament, it required the shedding of blood, just as you and I in the New Testament 
If we are to be spiritually clean, if we are to be cleansed of our sin, it is not the water of baptism that washes away sin. It is not the rituals of a religious exercise that wash away sin. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, it is by the blood of Christ that, we, that our sins are washed away, that we are cleansed. And so it was with the lepers. They had to go and go through the cleansing of the sacrificial blood, just as Moses commanded. But I want you to notice the end of verse 14. As a testimony to them. Go to the priests to go through the ritual of cleansing as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. To whom? To the priests. Go down to the temple. So you can imagine the stir that was created at the temple. A man shows up in the temple and uh, if, if he didn't stop at the clothing store on his way from wherever Jesus was to the, go to see the priests, he would have been in some probably some pretty tattered clothing. Remember, uh, the book of Leviticus required them to rent their clothes, and uh, their clothing uh, was often uh, ragged because they were poor. These were people who, had, who could not work anymore. They could not associate with people. These are not people who were well-dressed. These would have been people who were in rags, perhaps. So imagine the stir of someone walking into the temple dressed like a leper, but not having the spots on their skin of a leper, and coming to the priest and presenting an offering to the Lord in order to be cleansed. And the priest, in saying to them, why are you coming? What is your purpose? Or maybe even saying, why are you coming in here? You look like a leper. You look like you're dressed like a leper. What's going on? And the leper able to tell the priest, Jesus healed me. I was a leper, and I went to Jesus, and he touched me, and I've been healed. And I'm here to be cleansed. I'm here to be ritually purified. And here's my offering. What a testimony to the priest. What a testimony it is to the priest. These are... Many of the priests, along with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and other religious leaders who were very set against Jesus Christ. But when the people who have been healed start coming to the priest to go through ritual cleansing, what can the priest say? Can, I, can, can he say to the leper, no, you haven't really been cleansed. It was the job of the priest to make sure that, that, that the leper was clean, that he was healed. That was part of the Old Testament instruction was for the priest to make sure they were healed. And so this was a great testimony to the priest. And so here again in our text for tonight, Luke chapter 17, the Lord Jesus again in verse 14 tells them to go to the priests to be a testimony, to demonstrate to the priests the power of the Savior, the power of of the Messiah, the power of this Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. It appears to me, and I can't prove this, but it appears to me that all ten were, were people who trusted the Lord. They believed that Jesus could heal. 
there's two things to notice. In verse 13, it appears that all ten of them are raising their voices and calling out to Jesus for mercy. All ten of them appear to be recognizing their need and crying out to Jesus for mercy. And in verse 14, all ten of them turn and go. This is obedience. In the going, in the turning to leave, to go and show themselves to the priests, they understand that they're going to the priest because of cleansing. To be, to, 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 because they've been cleansed. And so I, it, it appears that these men are all going by faith. All ten of these people appear to be going by faith. What is interesting, however, is going to be the fact that nine out of the ten, even though they appear to be people of faith, they are not people who are thankful to God for what he does for them. How often it is that believers or professing believers fail in some of these critical parts of life. In this case, failing to express our gratitude. So as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. We actually looked at this passage a few years ago, a couple of few years ago, uh, during Thanksgiving time, because of this great example of this man in giving thanks, showing his gratitude, being humbly grateful to God for all that God had done for him. When this man saw that he had been healed, as he turned away and headed for the priests, he was healed, and he realized it, and he looked down at his hands or his arms or his skin that had been uh, pale, diseased, maybe gnarled, perhaps fingers that had become crooked or had even fallen off, and his skin is made whole and new and clean. He looks at that he had been healed, and he turns around, and he comes back to Jesus Christ. He's glorifying God with a loud voice, falling on his face at the feet of Jesus, thanking Jesus, thanking Jesus for healing him, for having mercy on him. He's glorifying God at the feet of the Lord Jesus. What a great place to be. What an appropriate response when we have been touched by the grace of God, when we have been healed from our sin and our deadness in our sin by the mercy of God. He fell at his feet, fell on his face, giving thanks to him. And then we have that wonderful phrase, at the end of verse 15, and he was a Samaritan. The emphasis on the word he at the beginning of the sentence, and he was a Samaritan. The one who gave thanks was a Samaritan. How many times do we see in the ministry of Christ, in the Gospels, bringing out the fact that there were oftentimes others who were more responsive to Christ than the Jewish people were. This statement show, casts color on the whole incident. This one man who felt grateful enough to come back and thank Jesus Christ for the blessing he had given him was a man who, ha, who was despised by the Jews. 
He was a Samaritan. And it is so striking to the Lord Jesus that Jesus then makes a, a question. In a sense, it's rhetorical. In a sense, he may be directing it to the one man. Jesus answered in verse 17 and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give God, to give glory to God, except this foreigner? Now we have another word, this Samaritan. Now this foreigner, this one from, literally, this one from another nation, this one from another people, this one from another family. The word uh, for nation here is the word uh, genetic, the, the Greek word from which we get the word genetic or genes. This one who's from another gene pool. And this one from another gene pool is the one who returns and gives thanks. Christ is, in a sense, marveling at this. It is not the first time that Jesus has marveled at the faith of a Gentile. If you go back with me, just, just one of these, there are so many of them, but in just one of these cases is in Matthew chapter 8, when the Lord um, heals a centurion's son. In, uh, the centurion comes at, at Capernaum in verse 5, and he is asking the Lord um, up for his servant, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, No, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes. And I say to my slave, do this. And he does it. And what the man is implying is, I know that you have authority, and if you just say for my servant to be healed, he will be healed. This man understands the authority of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus heard this in verse 10, he marveled. He marveled. And he said to those who were following, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Where were the Jewish people? Ignoring him, rejecting him, trying to fight against him. His people of Nazareth tried to throw him off the cliff. In Jerusalem, they've tried to stone him. Crowds have abandoned him when he started preaching the cost of discipleship. The leaders of Israel are in resistance against him. But here is a Roman centurion, a foreigner, a man from another country who had greater faith than any of the Jews had exhibited. We're a little short on time to go into this in much detail, but I, let me just mention a passage if you go back and read Numbers chapter 15 and look at verses 15 and 16, verse 26 and verse 29, God intended that the strangers 
in Israel, those foreigners who had come to Israel to come to the Lord, to be part of what God was doing in Israel. They wanted the blessing of God. And in this chapter, they are allowed to come and take part in the sacrifices of Israel. They're literally allowed to bring their sacrifices to God with Israel. God opens the door in the Old Testament for the alien, the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner to come with Israel into the place of blessing. It is throughout the Old Testament. It, it is even in the genealogy of Christ with Rahab and Ruth and others, the foreigners who are brought into the people of God. And the Jewish people of the first century completely missed the point. But Jesus here again is emphasizing the fact that God's people are not just one genetic people, but people of faith from all genetic pools, people of faith from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, and so on. That prejudice that the Jews had against other nations even showed up in the temple, and, and they were doing that by instruction. There was a court of the Gentiles, but the Gentiles could not come in to the court where the Jewish people could go. And the same word for another nation, others from other nations were not allowed beyond that point in the temple. But here we have a man who's not a Jew, who has been cleansed from leprosy. We don't know how long he had it. Did he have it a year, five years, ten years, twenty years, his whole life, most of his life? A few months, a few weeks. We don't know how long he had leprosy. Perhaps the reason this man is so grateful because he's had it for so long and been through so much. Or perhaps because his heart is so sensitive to the Lord. But he has fallen down upon his face before the Lord Jesus. And in this passage of Scripture, the Lord Jesus invites him to stand up in verse 19. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I've accepted your worship. I've accepted your gratitude. You are blessed. Go and be in peace. Your faith has made you well. And so it's altogether appropriate that God's people would give thanks. That is the main lesson, I believe, of this whole passage. It is an exhortation to us to be like the people of the Old Testament in Psalm 103, who said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He who pardons all your iniquities. He who heals all your diseases. He who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adverse adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons 
of men. And then again, verses 19 through 22 of Psalm 107. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Oh, that we would be a people of gratitude, a people characterized by thankfulness. My friend, look at your life. Look down at your hands that were once leprous and are cleansed. Look at your heart that was once dead in trespasses and sin and now made alive in Christ Jesus and turn around and fall on your face and bow at his feet and acknowledge, acknowledge your gratitude to him. Take a look at your life where you walked in darkness and now you're in the kingdom of his light and fall on your face and thank God for all he has done for you. Look at the sin out of which God saved you and the joy of salvation to which he has called you and take time to give thanks to the Lord. Let's be reflective. Let's be grateful. Let's be thankful. Let us be like the one and not like the nine. I suspect that for most of us, we spend far more time being like the nine than we do like the one. I'm reminded of one of the verses in Psalm 119. Seven times a day will I praise the Lord. Seven times a day will I praise the Lord. Just that would be a great exercise. If we praised and thanked the Lord seven times a day, how would it change our day? Forty-nine times a week, how would it change our week? I believe it would be a great exercise for us and a great help. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Father in heaven, thank you this day for this passage of scripture. Thank you for its exhortation. Thank you for its scolding message to us because we often fail. We are often the nine who go our way. Yes, having been touched, having been healed, having been changed, but not taking time to be grateful. Father, I pray that we would be able to cultivate the attitude of thanksgiving, a grateful heart toward you. I pray that your spirit would work in us to accomplish these things for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord willing, next week we will pick up with verse 20 through verse 37 and we'll look at Christ's message about his coming again his exhortation to the first century Jews, his answer to the question of the Pharisees. So God, God bless you. Have a great week.